Today on episode seven, we have an entrepreneur who bought her first house at the age of 23. We're going to talk about her life and key points of investing parents could teach their children. Dad, hurry up and turn on the music. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to have it all financially? Do well-off parents simply hand their children money? Or is there more to this wealth thing? Welcome to Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. We are here to talk about everything you never knew to teach your children when it comes to starting their financial future. The principles behind wealth and methods that are out there to teach your child about personal financial freedom. There is no real trick to earning other than learning. We are here to discuss, teach, and grow with you. Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. With your host and concerned parent, Eric Yard. Let us get right into today's show. I would like to welcome the millennial money woman, Fiona, to Raising Financial Freedom. Okay, that is the best entry I have ever heard, Eric. Thank you so much for this warm welcome. And thank you to your audience as well. No problem. No problems. So how are you doing today? You know, Eric, I'm doing well. It's a little wet right now over here in the state of Florida. We're just going through one of these major hurricanes, the first time in 20 years that we actually had a hurricane. So like you, I'm trying to keep above water, and but otherwise I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good, but yes, Florida is quite soggy right now. <laughs> so tell me, the millennial woman, how did this all get started? Ooh, that's a great question. So I'll start actually over, gosh, two decades ago. I was a young girl, right? So I was between like six and 10 years old and um, close with my grandparents. And that's where it all started. My grandparents were my idols, basically. And they worked like every other person out there. They worked hard. They built a business. It was a family-run business and worked basically every day, 12 plus hours a day. And as they grew older and I grew older as well, I saw that unfortunately due to some poor financial planning, their business went under and they literally lost everything. They mortgaged their house with hope, with the hope that the business was going to do well. They lost their house. They lost their business. They literally lost everything. And I I noticed that slowly as I was growing up and realized, oh my goodness, these two people, my grandmother and my grandfather, they worked every day. And now at like age 75, at age 80, they literally have nothing to show for all that hard work because of poor financial planning. And although I might have not completely understood what went on in the background at age 12, I did know that at some point, I did not want that to happen to me or anyone else for that matter. As I grew up in my teenage years and slowly entered college, I think that early life event really stuck to me and was the genesis of my wanting to learn about financial planning and specifically personal finance. So I could not only help my family, but also 
everyone else, other lives that I could touch positively, not go through the same financial mistakes that my grandparents made. Because in the end, my grandparents actually died penniless without a single penny to their name, although they did build up a business. And that could have very well been prevented if a couple of things were uh, been done proactively, such as long-term care insurance, done proper business planning, etc. But they didn't know. And I'm positive if they didn't know, others won't know either. So fast forward now to March 2020, when we had this pandemic, right, hit us worldwide. And I everyone else also went working from home, remote online work. And that was basically when I was able to adjust my schedule and flexibility to start dabbling in creating this blog, The Millennial Money Woman. And in March, quite frankly, Eric, that's when it all started. I threw together this website and started working on blogs, just writing up, typing up whatever came to my mind that I thought would be useful. And it really escalated from there where I received such good feedback from people that I didn't even know in the out in the World Wide Web, if you right. will. And they all they said that this is golden in terms of the information and the value that it can give others. So to be honest, that was the start. And I just I've been pouring my heart and soul into this. And I really hope that your audience and others will also take some value from my website and from the financial planning pieces that I put out. Right. Fiona, when did you realize you had a passion for finance? That was probably in my teenage years because I always knew, I knew how to make money. Everyone does. You go out, you get a job or you run your own business and I knew how to spend money too. (laughs) Those are pretty simple things. But I was curious, what happens in between that stage? What happens in between that earning money and that spending money phase? How do you actually make your money grow or how do you make it work for you? And although I always had that question in the back of my mind, Eric, I didn't know how to address it and I didn't know which questions to ask. I just simply wasn't educated. And I think a lot of people in high school and middle school, we just really aren't taught those basic financial literacy concepts. And it's unfortunate. But as I went into college and I was able to basically choose my career path instead of having a curriculum given to me, like a required curriculum, like in high school, I started to realize, wow, like personal financial planning is a must. It's going to help so many people out there who also don't know which questions to ask. And that was the beginning where I started studying for my certified financial planner, which is essentially being like a financial ninja. Uh, It's a very long exam, lots of material, very in-depth, rigorous coursework. And then in addition to that, I also received my uh, master of science in personal financial planning. And all of that really just had to do with wanting to know more. I just like I really wanted to learn more so I could provide value to others and help them make the same mis- or not make the same mistake that my grandparents made so long right, ago. Right. So I see here on your website that you said that you purchased your first house at the age of 23. Please get into that because at 23, I was my mind was not on the notion of, hey, I can purchase a house at this time in my life. And a lot of other people, 
I believe is also the same way. So how did you do this? <laughs> Love to go into it, Eric. I get that I get asked this quite a few times too. So definitely. Basically, I realized from a very early age, right? So again, we're talking probably mid teenage years that I wanted to never end up like my grandparents did at age 80. I never wanted to run out of money and I never wanted to lose what's mine. So my house, my car, my business, whatever it is. So from an early age, I think that event was so far ingrained in me, my very being that I really never spent money. I earned it. I was able to invest it from a very early age but I always check curbed my spending. And I think as we go into college, for example, at age 18, or most of us go into college at age 18, we, I think a lot of us are taught at age 18, the undergraduate years, those are the best four years in your life. You only live once. You want to make sure you enjoy it as much as you can. And for me, it was a little different. The way I, my mindset back then and to this day was I want to learn whatever I can learn in college. And in this case, it was a lot about finance and I want to finish my college career as fast as possible. So where most people take four years, I loaded up on courses and classwork and finished it in two years. And that saved me a lot of money because I didn't have to pay extra housing. I didn't have to pay for food. And I, I was actually paid after those two years in college. So I got that jump start over my other classmates. The trade-off was obviously lots of stress. I worked 40 hours plus a week during college. So it was not the best time of my life. <laughs> I can tell you that. Everybody else is partying, doing things that young adults do. And but you're there grinding. That's right. I was grinding. And that was, in hindsight, I'm glad I did. But going through it, it was a lot of tough work. And I think that's when you need to have that long-term mindset. Listen, when you're 18, you think ahead, what do I want in five, six, seven years from now? And I knew I wanted to have a house. I knew I wanted that type of asset. I knew I wanted to invest early. So having that long-term mindset and those goals always in the forefront of my mind helped me navigate the present back then. So when I was 18, 19, I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew, I, or at least I knew how to get there by getting through college fast, working, staying out of debt. And because of that, I wouldn't call it discipline, but I would call it more like just trying to work and just hustle as much as I can. I was able to, I was fortunate enough to find a house that was on the market and had a little bit of luck also with negotiating with the real estate agents to drop the price. And that's when I was able to put down a 20% down payment and go ahead and purchase the house. So it's good to, it was financially speaking, it was the right move for me personally, because in the area where I live, which is close to Miami, I'm sure you can imagine the rental, the apartment prices are, they're just extraordinarily high and expensive. And although I live a little bit of out, outside of the city center, I'd say about 45 minutes to an hour. Right. It's not that expensive. It's actually fairly affordable for me, given the space and the size of my house compared to an apartment. So financially speaking, it made perfect sense for me. It might not make sense for others, but that was how I was able to buy the house, just getting that long-term mindset and and always trying to focus on those future goals. Wow. So you're purchasing this house now. How did you feel when you're at the table and you're signing these papers and there's more than one person there at the table with you? And how did you feel at that moment? That's a really good question. I 
<laughs> I'll answer this succinctly, Eric. I was scared. <laughs> mm. I was, I didn't exactly know, you know, what paper, they literally shoved hundreds of papers into my face. They're like, all right, sign here. I felt like I was signing my life away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to some extent I was, right? 30 years of my life, I was signing right there for that fixed um, mortgage rate. But I did do some research before, obviously. I tried to at least understand the basic terminology of buying a house, what a mortgage is and what you need to do in order to be a successful homeowner. But I really wasn't prepared for sitting at that conference room table. I remember it was a table and I think it it was like the 15th floor of a pretty high rise building overlooking the ocean. And uh, everyone was dressed, suited, these old attorneys, professionals, these super extremely experienced people in their fields. And here I was like a 23 year old. So it was definitely overwhelming and scary. But I will say this, I felt so proud, because I knew that I was able to claim this asset, or at least 20% of it, right, back Mm -hmm. then, as my own. And being able to call it my own and being able to really cultivate or create this house as my own personal living space, I was able to customize it, right, to make it, to really tailor it to who I am. That was so gratifying and still is to this day. Wow, yeah. Signing those papers (laughs) is definitely scary, especially when there's a whole team on their end and there's only one or two people on your end. (laughs) So it's going down. This is definitely happening it was really scary and it was just me it was me versus i want to say six other people in the room (laughs) so tell me what do you love most about financial freedom another good question eric i love these questions they're they're very thought-provoking i want to say honestly the reason why i love financial freedom is because i have peace of mind and i think a lot of things out here uh, in the world, like insurance, for instance, definitely insurance. They, although there's no tangible value, you can't, you, you don't actually get to see insurance working. You don't get, you can't hold it in your hands. What it does buy you is peace of mind, knowing that if there's a hurricane and it destroys your house, right? If my house was in the path of Ada yesterday, I would be okay because I knew I had insurance in place. And I think that's similar to financial freedom, for me at least. I feel very peaceful. I feel at peace. I don't feel anxiety. I am able to sleep at night. And I I know this for a fact that not having financial freedom can actually literally keep you up at night because I have a friend. She is older than me. She's about 38 years old. And she's in, I want to say about $150,000 of debt. So this includes student debt and it includes credit card debt. But she only earns $30,000 a year and she's in debt by 150000 or whatever it is. And she spends a lot more than what she earns. So she spends about 60000 a year, which is double what she earns. And so she tells me constantly, consistently that she's unable to sleep at night sometimes because she's so anxious about money and she's worried about running out of money. And to be honest, 78% of this country lives paycheck to paycheck, which is just a scary statistic. 
And moreover, I, I want to say that the statistic is 30% of people do not have an emergency savings fund at all. And I think not having that little extra backup or cash buffer to help you out in case of unexpected expenses can really dent your health because of the anxiety, right? And it can overall obviously dent your overall financial picture. And that's what financial freedom really gets me is that peace of mind, not being anxious. And, and it's funny because it's not nothing tangible, right. but it's something that I am so happy to be able to sleep at night because of financial freedom. Great question. Yeah. Sleep is good. <laughs> it certainly no, no is. No problems behind it. What is the best thing that's happened to you since you started? The best thing is honestly hearing the success stories of the people that I'm able to positively impact. I'll give you an example. So I was helping one of my mentees. He was, I want to say, 29 years old, and he actually had a great job. He was, I think it was an insurance, and he was an insurance salesman, life insurance salesman, doing very well for himself, earning six figures easily in his job. Very well, very smart, very talented. However, he was unhappy in his job, like really unhappy in his job. It was not satisfying for him, although he made quite a bit of money for his age. And he sat down with me and we went through his picture, his financial picture, and we analyzed his current net worth. And a net worth, for those of you who are wondering, is basically what you own, right? Your assets minus your liabilities. So what you owe. And his net worth for 29 was positive. So that means he owned more than what he owed. And that was a good thing because we figured out how to transition him slowly out of his six-figure paying job and start his own business. We went through the pro formas for his business, like the projections, how much would he be earning? How can we improve his marketing, um, his business marketing outreach, etc.? And there was a point where he was actually earning the same, if not more, than his current full-time job. And that was the point when we transitioned him over to his new business. And it was a marketing business, and he just loves it. I receive probably quarterly calls from him, so once every three or four months. And the first time he called me, well, I'm never going to forget this. Eric, he called me and he was this 29, 30 year old by then in tears, literally in tears, thanking me for giving him a sec like a second chance, basically at starting his own business. It was just the fact that I'm able to help these people right positively and accomplish their goals. His goal was to build his own business. And just hearing that is so overwhelming and gratifying too, obviously. And yeah, that was probably one of the most, the best calls that I ever had. And I get those calls though often from the people that I'm able to help. And that in and of itself is just so worth doing what I do. I know when that call came in and after that call, it, it just sat with you the whole day. Oh yeah. With a big smile on my face. It's just, it's so incredible. You, you know that you're making a positive change in someone's life. And that's what I love about this. So if you had to do it all over again, what is the first thing you would do? I would actually change something. I would actually tell myself that in, you remember how I said I really enjoyed or I really wanted to make sure I don't run out of money. What I ended up doing was I actually saved a lot of money, but I never actually started the investing journey until I was like 18, 19, 20, which is still early. But I wish I had started much earlier, 15 years old. I always saved money from birthday gifts or Christmas or other holiday gifts. 
And I put that in my savings account, which is good. Obviously, I'm not spending the money. However, I wish, I wish I would have invested that money from an early age on. And obviously I am now, but that's something I hope that I'm able to pass on to your audience as well, which is simply to start investing as early as possible. Even if it's just $5 or $10, that's fine. Start investing as early as possible. And once I started, you know, realizing the power of investing early because of compounding interest, I ended up asking some people they get actual tangible gifts for uh, birthdays or holidays. What I ended up doing is I asked for if, if someone was going to give me some gift, maybe change that into an actual dollar value so I could invest that money. And I think for going on those physical gifts, which would depreciate in value and you'd probably not use them anyway in the future, I was able to invest that cash. And I'm glad I was able to do that later down the road, though. But I wish I did that earlier. So that's one thing I wish I would have done. <laughs> and hope your audience, whoever's listening, starts investing if you haven't already done now. On that note, what are some of the things you think a child should be taught about money? Great idea. I think if I could be back at six or seven years old, I wish that I was taught more about chores. Chores, I think, are important. However, the fact if if a parent, for example, assigns a dollar value to each chore and the child is able to see, okay, if I put in X amount of effort, I receive X amount of money. And typically the two would be correlated, right? Directly correlated. So that means if you put in more effort into a specific chore, you would naturally get a little bit more money. Now, if that's 25 cents, 50 cents, whatever it is. But the point is the child begins to realize the true meaning of a dollar or the true meaning of 50 cents because it takes time and it takes effort and energy. And although I had to do my chores regularly, I never really understood the value of a dollar. Um, And I didn't understand the amount of time that it took. And I think if I understood that earlier, I would have been able to convert prices into time. So that's something I also try to recommend my mentees to think. For example, if you go out shopping and you see a $100 pair of shoes, I instead of thinking of, oh, it's $100, I think about it in time. Okay, if I earn $10 an hour, that's actually costing me 10 hours of my life for a pair of shoes. That If I think about it that way, I'm much less likely to buy that pair of shoes because I'm like, man, this is a lot. This is a big chunk of my life. And the fact is, these shoes are probably not going to last 10 hours of continuous walking. So I wish, yeah, I, I really wish I would have been able to be exposed more to small jobs where I would have been able to truly appreciate the value of a dollar because back then, I'm sure other children out there too, they think that money is maybe growing on trees or maybe always available and they don't really realize the value of some things. So that would definitely be my one thing that I wish I could change and improve. Okay. So what is the first asset a child should be groomed to go after? Ooh, that's a good question. The first asset I would say, so assets are anything that you own. I would say, quite frankly, an investment account. Just setting up a child with a regular or with an individual investment account at any of the larger brokerage firms like Vanguard, Charles Schwab, Ameritrade. There's so many out there and they're low cost too. They don't cost a lot of money. And I think when you're a child, 
being able to not only teach them the value of a dollar, but also trying to ingrain the fact that investing from an early age is important. I would go after that because again, an investment account could be considered an asset because it's something that child owns. Maybe a parent might have to help if the child is a minor. So under 18 years old, typically a parent might have to help set up the account because I think most institutions don't allow just minors to sign up. However, if a parent really helps guide a child through that and exposes that child to what an investment account actually looks like, where you can type in the ticker symbol to buy a stock and where you can type in a ticker symbol to trade and sell a stock, I think just giving them that early exposure will make the child more comfortable as the child grows up and becomes a young adult or a young professional. And the reason why I say that exposure is important especially at a young age, is because humans in general, I think it's their nature to shy away from things that we don't really know. And the younger you are, obviously, the more you're familiar with something, the more likely you're going to continue doing that down the road. And that's why I say it would probably be good if parents or guardians or whoever expose their kids to those investment accounts and really help the kids and guide them to invest you know, money, cash, whatever it is that they get for birthdays, for example, or even small jobs or chores. So why are they guiding them? What are some of the pitfalls a parent should teach their child to avoid about money? Sure. The first thing that comes to my mind is credit cards and the fact that YOLO is out there. So for those of you who don't know what YOLO is, and by the way, I didn't know what that was either like six months ago. (laughs) YOLO means you only live once. And it's funny because I was was talking to one of my mentees, actually. She's at the end of her 20s, I think 28 or 29. And she was telling me about YOLO. You only live once. But I didn't know that it actually meant you only live once, which means you spend today because you're not sure if you'll live tomorrow. So I like turned my back quickly and looked it up on Google on my phone. She didn't see that. So thankfully, I came off as cool. But <laughs> it was, that's what YOLO means. And credit cards, same thing. They go hand in hand, which is why I said them both. And you can basically, I think it's important for parents to remind their kids that although life is short, you do want to have that long-term mindset as in don't spend everything today in fear that tomorrow doesn't exist. And a lot of times kids, they put a lot of debt on their credit cards because credit card spending is really easy. You don't see the physical cash go out of your hands It's literally just the swipe of a card. And today, even we have Amazon or other online retailers where it's literally just the click of a button. And you don't even see that money leaving your hands, which is psychologically, it's it's much easier to spend without seeing that physical money leaving. It it really is. So I would just suggest to try to show your kids that credit card debt is not a good debt to have because it sometimes has up to 25% interest rate. And that's not something you want to start paying, especially if you just make the minimum payments. And I've seen many people do that. They're like, oh, paying 35 bucks on a $1,000 balance in a credit card is no problem. At least I'm paying. And the thing is, they're paying only the interest balance, mainly only the interest balance for the credit card company. They're not actually dipping into what they actually owe, which is that $1,000 or whatever it is. So um, I think that's a very big misconception 
and trying to teach kids from a very early age that credit card debt is not good debt. You want to stay away from it at all costs or pay it off as fast as possible. That would really benefit kids, especially in the long run. So what is the one hidden pitfall of personal finance that prevents people from succeeding? So I think there are many, but one of the top ones I have seen quite often is people believing that they can, as it relates to their investing, time the market. And a lot of people tell you, like even now, it was an election year. So some people were convinced the markets would plummet, convinced. So they went all to cash. Others, five years ago, they thought, nope, the the markets, they're going to do really well. And they invested everything, but it was the market was too high. So the fact that they're uh, trying to time the market and essentially beat the market is a common misconception that I think many people fall victim to. And just to give you a little bit of an example, I think if you miss the top 10 days of the market, the top 10 days of the market, your portfolio can be down, can be negative 10, 20% at a time versus if you simply stayed invested. Even if you maybe didn't drop $10,000 or $20,000 in the market when it's down, when you're trying to time it, you're still going to be off much better if you're consistently sticking to your investment plan versus trying to time the market. And I I know this also from personal experience. I tried to time the market. I was like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And I, I kicked myself. I kicked myself all the time thinking about it because it's. I know this. I know I'm not supposed to time it. And I still thought I would be better. And guess what? I'm not better. No one's better. It's the market is its own animal. And the only way to at least stick with the market is being consistent with your investment plan, which means, for example, if you have a 401k plan, you typically take a portion of your paycheck and you invest that every week, every two weeks, whatever it is. And that consistent investing right over the years, over the decades, that's what's going to get you the hundreds of thousands or the millions of dollars, depending on how you invest. Yeah. Time in the market, that's just not for me. A little bit too much pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a, a dividend investor. Time in the mm-hmm. market? That's right. Just couldn't do it. What is the one thing people don't realize about money? I think the biggest thing is that time is of the essence when it comes with when it comes to money. A lot of people, at least the mentees that I work with and some of the clients as well, I hear very often that they're going to wait to save until, you know, tomorrow or until next year when they have a higher income stream. And although this might sound cliche, it actually does happen quite often. Where people say, for example, um, I'm thinking of this one mentee that I was helping recently. She, I think, was earning like $45,000 a year. And she's paying for her student loan debt, credit card debt, auto debt, etc. And she's, no, I think I'm going to wait and hold off until my income goes to 65000 Then I'll afford myself to save a little bit because I'll have a higher income stream. And the fact of the matter is, got to practice healthy financial habits today. And even if that means if it's just $5 a week that you're saving, the point is you're saving and you're investing. And unfortunately, the people that say, now I'm going to wait until my income increases, they're probably going to say that again once their income increases to the point that they wanted to invest before. And it's just a matter of not practicing those healthy financial habits. And in fact, there, I think, was a recent study that shows in order to make a habit, 
automatic behavior, you need to reinforce that habit for 66 days or so. So basically two and a half months until it becomes automatic and ingrained and you don't have to think about it second a second time. And that's similar to investing. So you really got to push yourself to, to see where can you save $5 a week possibly to invest in the stock market. You got to really push yourself and start investing. The point is you just have to start. And once you start and you continue that investing route, your future self will really thank you because, again, time is of the essence. The more time you have with your money, because your money will grow over time, the interest will compound over time, the more you'll have in your bank account down the road during retirement. And I'd want to say just one thing before I end this thought. I was helping a woman, I think she was 70 or 71 years old. And she was the person that said, I'll invest tomorrow. I'll invest tomorrow. And at 70 years old now, she told me, and this phrase stuck with me, she said, my past is catching up to me. And what she meant by that is that she didn't invest when she was supposed to. And she knew she was supposed to, but she just didn't do it. So her past is catching up to her. And everyone here that's listening, don't let your past catch up to you. Start now. Good point. Good point. On that note, I'll wrap things up. Fiona, tell the listeners, your potential customers, where can they find you, how they could get reach you, and everything you have coming out in the future. Yeah, certainly, Eric. I'd love to. So first of all, everyone can uh, find me on my blog, which is themillennialmoneywoman.com. And every week I'll be posting two to three new blog posts with hopefully helpful financial information. You can always email me. I'm happy to engage. I'd love to get to know you all. My email is themillennialmoneywoman at gmail.com. And if you're a Twitter user, obviously you can follow me on Twitter or engage with me. My Twitter handle is at the underscore MW. And finally, if you're more of a Pinterest fan, also feel free to interact with me on Pinterest. My Pinterest name is The Millennial Money Woman. I'm happy to engage with you and, and I encourage it. I'd love to get to know you all. Now, some of the key points you could have taken away from that interview is we all need to watch the time that we are using. We as parents always say, oh, yeah, I'll start teaching my son or my daughter about money tomorrow. And then miraculously, it doesn't happen. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it next week. No, 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 I'll do it next month. And before you know it, they're 18 getting ready to leave your house. So make a conscious effort to make time and sit down with them and, and teach them a thing or two about money and make it a daily schedule on top of it. Once that time period is gone in their lives, you're not going to get it back. So use it. Set them up for success. Set them up with a good foundation. Another good point I could take out of that, out of that interview is that um, don't set limits on your child's financial future. As you can see with Fiona, at 23, she bought her first house. Why can't that be your child? Why can't it be your son, your daughter? Let them know that it's possible. And if they do want to take that route and get a house real quick, sit down with them, get a plan going and execute. But don't let them think that because maybe you took a while to get your house, it's going to take them just that same amount of time. Coming up next week, I have a creator and an author coming on the show. He has a very useful tool that'll get your kids going on money and investing. 
So as always, I would like you to like and share with other parents. Also, subscribe, please. That's very important. If you like the show, subscribe. For now, we have a Facebook page where you could stop by. And most of the time, before a new episode comes out, we send out snippets of the next upcoming episode. So stop by. In the future, we will be on other platforms. But for right now, we're on Facebook. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Blazing Financial Freedom, the podcast. Stay connected with us directly through RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. You can also join the discussion on social media, which you can also find links on our website. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through info at RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other.